Hello, and welcome to episode 90 of the Medical Device Success Podcast. I am Ted Newell, your host. I am also the host of the MedTech Leaders community. Today's episode is about an important new kind of commercial service organization to MedTech and to healthcare professionals. It is called a CXO. You have heard of CROs. Well, today you will learn about a CXO called the Clinician Exchange. To help us understand how they work with medtech and healthcare organizations, we will talk to Skender Darity, CEO of the Clinician Exchange. A CXO fits into the customer success equation of a small or large company. It can help a startup with an upstream marketing and strategic planning or downstream implementation and scaling. An example of upstream service could be voice of customer during product development. An example of downstream could be training and e-learning program related to a device that could be used on most floors of a major hospital system. Now today we make a little history because it is the first face-to-face interview I have done for the podcast. Almost all my previous podcasts were done via Zoom, and that is why it is a podcast only and won't be turned into a YouTube video. I have to say, it is more fun being face-to-face. This is my first time working in this environment, so you may hear some background noise, and our sound levels may not be the greatest. We had to find a quiet spot in a busy hotel, and it is not an easy thing to do. However, the content is very good. By the way, I want to emphasize that even though the Clinician Exchange serves the medtech industry, I do not get any compensation for this podcast. If you like this podcast, please recommend it to a friend via the share link on your podcast player of choice. If you would like to learn more about the MedTech Leaders community, go to medtechleaders.net. And links to Skender's LinkedIn profile and website will be in the show notes. There will also be a link to the MedTech Business Academy podcast that I participate in with Skender and a crew of experts. I think that is a good segue to meeting up with Skender to learn about what CXO stands for and why it can contribute to the success of medtech companies. Skender, it is great to have you on the Medical Device Success Podcast. Um, Thank you very much for spending the time today. Thank you, Ted. Been a big fan for a while. Well, th- I appreciate that. I'm sitting across from Skender. This is the first time in the history of this podcast that I've ever been face-to-face with somebody and not on Zoom with them. It, it feels, it feels kind of cool, doesn't it? I yeah. Mean, who would have thought that that human interaction of like not seeing somebody through a two-dimensional screen makes such a difference? It, it does. And what's also interesting for the audience to know is that um, I've known Skender now for – about three years? I'd say so, probably, yeah. That's that year, right, yeah. Three years. And this is the first time we've met. Everything's been by, by Zoom. We've done a lot of stuff by, via Zoom together, and here we are. So this is terrific. Finally. Yes, finally. But today we are here to talk about Skender and what he does because it's fascinating. And I really think that the uh, medtech community needs to know about it. So first of all, Skinner, just tell us what your role is at the Clinician Exchange and just a little bit about the Clinician Exchange. Yeah. 
So I'm the CEO and founder of the Clinician Exchange, and we fashion ourselves as a clinical advisory and variable sourcing firm focused on clinical experience and expertise. Okay. And a lot of people are going to hear that and they're going to think, what? What did he just say? Why is it important? And we're going to get to that because it is very important. So, and to help maybe talk about why that's important, let's start off with a story. So... Tell me a story about where the clinician exchange made a difference for a client. So I've had the good fortune over the last probably month and a half to have attended a number of uh, trade shows and conferences. Now that those things are back, right? We're in person. Everybody else is in person. So it's been a lot of fun. And we've had an opportunity to connect with some customers that we haven't had a chance to speak with uh, and now get a chance to hear from some of their stories that we worked on over the last few months. So there's two particular stories that come to mind. And the, new, the one that I'm going to speak of first is fresh because it just happened when we came back from Boston. And it was an early stage company, very early stage, still seeking their direction, setting their strategic uh, pathway. And they came to us very early to ask for a voice of customer uh, project uh, or voice of customer engagement. And, uh, and so we did it. I think we uh, queried uh, 100 gynecologists uh, about some specific questions that they had um, and we submitted the data back to them and the information, and we didn't hear back from them for a while. Well, the gentleman ran up to some members of my team uh, this past week and said, the clinician exchange, I know you, and they hadn't worked with him. And he just said, I want to tell you that that survey that you helped me with, that voice of customer survey that you helped us with, it changed the entire course of our company. And, and the way they said it to me was basically it invalidated all of their previous assumptions, which I said to my team, what, what happened? They said they were all kind of caught off guard, right? When somebody tells you you've basically invalidated a hypothesis in a startup world, most people get perturbed, don't know how to handle that. And it caused some strife and consternation in their organization, yet it created a pivot point and they are now getting ready to do their biggest round of capital fundraising at the lowest uh, um, dilution rate that they could have expected simply because they did pivot properly from that information. So wow. This is, this is tacit. And this is, it was really exciting to hear that. And that's an impact that we, we just love to hear about. That's awesome. That's a great story. So that was the first one. I just want to touch the okay. second one. Yeah. Is, and this is a project that we're really excited about. Um, we are working with two pivotal organizations um, and, and it's public information. It's the Association of Vascular Access, AVA. Uh, the Ava Foundation, and um, B. Braun Medical, a uh, very well-known medical device company, uh, they hired us to essentially help them develop the first peripheral IV uh, educational curriculum. So believe it or not, the highest volume invasive procedure in all of healthcare is a peripheral IV. Everybody's familiar with that? How many of you had in your life, do you think? Probably two at least. Uh, two at least, okay. Yeah. I've I probably had fifty. Um, oh, really? Okay. Just through the various surgeries and other. Oh, peripheral, peripheral IV. Yes, okay, yes. Oh, IV. I've had more than two. I'm, I'm assuming. <laughs> I would assume so. Yeah, I've had a few, um, quite a few. Many people have had quite a few. Did you know that there is very little formal training as it relates to teaching people and educating people on how to do a proper peripheral IV placement? No, not at all. Most of it is just. 
let's just take these people, stick them like a pin cushion until you get it right. Mm-hmm. And so Ava and B. Braun partnered together to say, we need to correct this. And so we've been their third production partner in developing what's going to be the world's first peripheral IV curriculum and an e-learning basis to actually educate people on the foundations of what it takes to create a proper peripheral IV. That's really exciting. That's very exciting. Those are, those are two great stories. And for the listeners that goes to two of the solutions that the clinician exchange offers people. Um, One would be voice the customer and we'll, we'll get into a little more detail of these offerings later. And the, the second one is e-learning. Right. Mm-hmm. And I forget what you call that. You call it uh, IntelliJex. Intelli- no, the IntelliJex is voice of the customer. Yes. Uh, connects. No, e-learning is just e-learning. Yes. Okay. You've done okay. your homework. All right. Yeah. Very good. <laughs> okay. All right. So let's move on and let's just talk about how did you get into med tech? So um, I, was, I started my career in finance. First as a financial advisor, and then 9-11 happened. I lived in northern New Jersey, uh, right across the river from uh, the, the tragedy that unfolded. Uh, made a career change. I ended up moving into becoming an equity trader. I loved that job. Unfortunately, it was one that didn't agree with me mm-hmm. uh, as much as I would have liked it to be. So I didn't find a whole lot of success there. However, I was uh, one of the bastions of... Uh, of the market that I was actually trading successfully was the healthcare market. And I was always astounded by how successful and the growth of all these organizations and just looked at the future projections of, of what was happening there and looking at how innovation occurred in that and how much of an impact it had. And so rather than just look at it from being in an environment where I was sitting in finance, we don't really create any value for the world. All you really do is take it from somebody's pocket, put it in somebody else's, hopefully your own, yeah. uh, if you're good. So as I was sitting there pontificating on life, I said, I want to go into someplace where I can make a bigger impact. And so I started to really pursue an opportunity to get into the healthcare field and was fortunate enough to uh, to enter into the pharmaceutical industry. I did a very brief stint there and then was eventually recruited very shortly after uh, by a med tech company um, that was uh, was undergoing a big growth cycle. And I had an opportunity to be part of that. Okay. And you ended up being the vice president of a company. And then you founded an or I don't know if you founded that the company before the clinician exchange. Um, what was that company called? So it was called MedComp or Medical okay. Components. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, right. So I didn't find them. That that was the med tech company okay. reference that I came Got to. It. Yeah. Got it. Yeah. So you're coming out of MedComp, and what are you seeing in the marketplace that makes you believe that there's a need for a service like the Clinician Exchange offers? Yeah. So when I came into healthcare, it was 2005, 2006. And um, the one thing that I noticed then, uh, and particularly at my former company, MedComp, we were all physician-driven, physi- or what's known as PPI, physician preference items. Products that were differentiated but used only by physicians at the time, and therefore they had so much say in what could occur and what was being bought uh, and brought in t- that they were using. Right. I noticed the shift started to happen where all of a sudden the physicians who are primarily sole customer base, started to lose a lot of their influence. And it started to change from, I have all the say, to I have much say, to I have some say, 
So I have a little say. And with that, our strategy had to modify itself. Um, and we started to look at how can we get into more corporate account contracting, IDN contracting, GPO contracting, et cetera, made that a core part of our, our business. With that said, one of the things that we recognize is when we were dealing and selling primarily to the physicians is we were selling them primarily on the features and benefits of a product. And I started to recognize that as we started to get into contracting, that had changed. There's a lot more economics involved in that. Mm -hmm. And we've morphed even from just the price of a product, which is what it was initially, to now the overall value of this complex equation that includes features, benefits, price of the product, and the economic value of the product altogether. And I started to notice that across the industry, people were starting to really focus on what I call the concept of experience. And looking at that from an analogy of what we saw in everything else in the consumer industry, right? Everything in the consumer industry has started to migrate away from transactional product sales or service sales to something that is more about how do I feel about that brand? How does that brand make me feel? Can I trust that brand? Do I have confidence in that brand? I mean, we, you have to look no further than just the proliferation of every rating that is out there. We don't buy anything from chewing gum, it feels like, to a book, a magazine, whatever it may be, without looking at the rating first. Yeah. And that gives us that inherent trust and confidence that, okay, I can believe in this brand. And that's started to morph itself into healthcare now, where there is as much concern for the outcome that the product will create. Obviously, the product has to perform or the de device, the technology, whatever it may be. It has to perform up to the standards for the safety of the patient and the caregiver, the provider. But they also have to have that inherent trust and confidence that the brand will be able to support them through thick and thin and provide them with the ability to be supportive. Can they, will you help me learn how to use this product, this technology? Will you give me all the support I need? Will you be there for me even when you're not physically here? Mm -hmm. If I have a problem, will I have many points of contact or do I have to sit there and wait to be called back? All those things go into brand experience. So we started the clinician exchange under the auspices of how can we help organizations, both large and small, really start to harness this idea of creating experience via clinical expertise. Okay, so I want you to go back to when you're thinking about starting this business and what you're first going to offer, what your first services were that you offered, um, and what were those services? What were the first, like right now you've got like five or six solutions. What were the first solutions you offered? So the first solution we offered was basically field-based uh, field-based clinical support. Okay. And by that you mean if I'm ABC MedTech Company and I need help uh, training nurses in Chicago, but I don't have an application specialist there, I might go come to you to find somebody in Chicago that I could train virtually or in person that would then go train those hospitals for me on a contract basis. Correct. Yes. Okay. So it was a lot of clinical education, in-servicing, precepting, proctoring, 
One of the things that we really emphasized was we didn't call our people field specialists or clinical specialists. We actually refer to them as clinical brand ambassadors or CBAs, Okay, which is maybe semantics, but the nomenclature for us really lends itself to that concept of experience because they are out there representing as a brand ambassador of that client, but doing so obviously to ensure that the clinical experience for the provider is sound and resonates from the brand. And what year is this? This is 2000, oh, good luck, 2015. 2015, you're yeah. starting this. Yes. Did you already have a customer in the bag as you decided to start this company, or were you sitting at your desk at your house thinking, oh, geez, you know, I've, I've got to get some business. I, I know what I want to do. I've got connections around the country in terms of nursing or clinicians of various types and different levels. What, what, what was the situation? Yeah, so um, we, I had explored the concept with some prospective customers uh, and had received a fair amount of interest before we even launched the application. I just needed to kind of do my own market diligence and make sure this was something that uh, that was going to resonate and had had validity. Um, however, when we first launched the company, I had this vision of creating a software application that was going to create universal connectivity from any organization to a network of providers right. for consultation. We are still going in that direction. However, with the initial onset, we weren't thinking commercialization. We were thinking about building the platform first. And I don't know if you've ever built a software platform. Turns out it's incredibly expensive. Yeah. <laughs> so, so we burned through our initial rounds of investments and, and, and money, unfortunately, very quickly. And that's when we decided, wait a second, as we were continuing to build it, companies had heard about this field-based scaling that we could provide them instant scalability anywhere in the country. So we started to take on some clients and then eventually we kind of morphed away from the programming and project development to just focusing on how can we start to build out our consult consulting practice and really create something of value for the med tech industry. So you had to pivot a complete pivot. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. All right. So what we, what we're doing here is we are now shifting into the founding and the growth of the clinician exchange. And what was interesting was on your website the other day, I noticed that you used a term that you had not mentioned to me before and all the time. And all the webinars that we've done together and all that stuff, what I saw was on the website was that you had what's called a clinical experience organization. So CXO. And everybody that's listening to this podcast is familiar with CROs. Uh, clinical research organizations this is very but nobody has probably ever heard of the clinical experience organization um, I, I think that's brilliant and so you are the um, first company with a clinical experience organization or that serves as one how did the offering grow like, so you started out with what we were talking about which is the exchange and now you've got, like, I'm counting on my notes here, another five or six offerings. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about that. Yeah. So, uh, as I said, when we really started to focus on commercializing who and what we were, uh, it was field-based clinical support on an on-demand basis, basically allowing any company, large and small, to scale their field resources as needed. And, and let me just, I'm going to interrupt Skender there yeah. for just a second. So you're a uh, 10 or 15 person med tech company that has a product that requires in-servicing 
uh, education, whatever, wherever it is, but you cannot afford a 10 or 15 person national organization. You can't afford the people and you can't afford the travel. You can't afford the overhead to put all these people in place to help scale your product. The clinician exchange does that for you. I'm, I'm, Sorry if you don't mind me putting a plug in here for you. Oh, but, I don't mind. <laughs> but the clinician exchange does that for you. So you only use a person when you need them. And so for a smaller company that is watching its money and watching its burn rate, this can be uh, a very um, handy service to have. So anyway, go ahead. Sorry to interrupt you. Yeah, and it's not even just small organizations. We deal with some of the, the largest organizations in the med tech space that use this quite extensively. And the reason why is they use this in a strategic format. They have large teams of their own, but what they've done is they've developed a system whereby their in-house team, their employee team, clinical team, does most of the initial trials and the evaluations. Are we going to, we're going to try this product and see how it works and, and let's see. So they make sure all the people that are very well tuned on the company Kool-Aid are in there and making sure that the company feel that the hospital, the healthcare provider feels really good about using the product. Now, when it comes to an implementation in some way, shape, or form, and these are products that are used not necessarily in a procedural setting, obviously, but maybe housewide, a lot of on nursing floors, et cetera. And so in that regard, it takes a lot of human capital. Procedures, you can do a one-to-one type of interaction. But when you look at something that's being used across every floor of the hospital, that's a pretty big undertaking, even for the largest of organizations. And for these large 20-story hospitals that we all like to dream about getting their business that's a big undertaking to get them to feel comfortable using your product you have to deploy deploy a lot of human resources and in the concept of experience you have to make sure that you're not only there when you say you're going to be there so if they ask you to be there for two weeks starting july 1 to july 14 that's one thing to provide the resources then but can you be there on august 1st when they need you again can you be there again on september 1st that's the flexibility and scaling that we provide them uh, in that regard. And that happens small to large. And so when you say large, um, you, you can name a name if you want, but if you don't want to, how many billion dollars are we talking about the size of the companies that you serve? Uh, we're talking from startup napkin stage companies all the way to uh, our largest customer is a Fortune 20 company. Wow. That's awesome. Yeah. Great. Okay. So let's keep going. Let's walk through some of the other offerings that you have. So as we referenced, we focused on that. Eventually, that started to spawn. How are we going to train our clinicians on the new technologies? How are we going to get them up to speed and understanding the differentiation and the nuance of these specific products? So we started to delve into utilizing e-learning as a vertical tool to educate. Eventually, we programmed our own learning management system and started to develop our own creative system for for developing e-learning curriculum. And by virtue of that, some of our customers started to see how we were training clinicians. And they said, wait, I like that platform. And the light bulb went off. And we said, maybe we could white label our learning management system. So we started white labeling learning management system. And instead of companies having to invest tens of thousands of dollars to program their own. We now have one that gets custom branded to them, their own URL, their own color schema, their own logo. It's theirs. And then we can help them do full creative design uh, for e-learning because we've just expanded our capabilities from one where it was 
pretty two-dimensional e-learning to now videos, animation. We have a number of partners that we work with to do AR, VR, literally anything that you want to do from an educational standpoint, we can do that. And that became, you know, necessity is the is the mother of innovation, right? Yeah. That's really what that was. Uh, the other upstream services really came about primarily as a pivot through the difficult times of COVID. And I'm talking about mainly our voice of customer and KOL development platforms. And as less and less companies were able to gain access into hospitals and hospitals were restricting access due to the pandemic, we weren't sending as many clinicians into the field. Um, however, our network of clinicians kept growing uh, by leaps and bounds, actually. Uh, if you recall, in the beginning stages of the pandemic, Hospitals are actually laying people off, mm -hmm. which is striking when you think about today's labor shortages. Yes. Right. But they were doing massive uh, layoffs. People were registering with us in droves. Um, now, as the retirements start to escalate, people are registering us with, in droves. So the size of our clinician network, which is now 15,000 clinicians, continued to grow. And from our perspective, we were just trying to think, how can we serve our med tech clientele better by providing many more points of connectivity to this hub of expertise, clinical expertise. People don't just need it for staffing at the end, last mile of a sale. That's what we were designed for. But there's more applications that go way more upstream. And so we really started to focus on really just this hub and spoke model and acting as a quote unquote clinical concierge saying, what are your needs, MedTech clientele, for clinical expertise? We can tie you into that. And that's how each of our other services have spawned out. And actually, that goes hand-in-hand hand with what's really big these days. At least it's a, um, it's a part of, of a lot of companies, which they call customer success. Mm -hmm. So you fit right into helping a, uh, a customer success officer meet their needs, probably – Probably almost all their needs. Uh, we hope so. Uh, right now, um, close to 80% of our clientele, particularly ones that have come on in the last 20, 24 months, um, are working with us across multiple uh, applications and services. Mm -hmm. um, and fortunately, again, kudos to my team. I think I have the best team in the world. Uh, they're really some of the highest quality individuals I've had the fortune and pleasure of working with. They really do everything they can to, to use experience as our North Star. And as a result of that, unequivocally, when we do bring an organization into the fold and we do perform one service for them, inevitably, because that concierge type of principle, we get asked either about a service we currently have or some other off-brand ask of, I need a clinician to this and I don't know who, to, who else to call. Right. And we're able to do it. Right. So um, we talked a little bit about why a firm would ask the clinician exchange for their help instead of doing it themselves because even a big company doesn't know the ebb and flow of the business or the, the part of the process they're in to help a customer you know, utilize their product. So if they're in this really difficult stage, they may need a lot of additional manpower that they wouldn't want to have per permanently on board. Um, I think that's interesting. And then the, on the e-learning, there are a lot of what they call learning management systems out there. 
But the neat thing is, is that yours is actually made for medicine. It's actually made for med tech. Yeah. Yes. So there are healthcare platforms. Ours is the only one that we call industry specific. Okay. It's made for med tech. Uh, so that I think that's pretty interesting. Then on the connects, um, you have webinars and hosting. So that's another service you offer people. So I are those. Uh, Promotional webinars, educational webinars, all of the above, what are those? All of the above. Um, so we've done promotional webinars where it's designed to promote a specific product, brand, service, whatever it may be, new technology that's out there. Uh, the bulk of what we do focuses on clinical education. So we are an accredited provider of CE credits for nurses. Uh, we have relationships with other organizations like ASRTs for uh, radiology techs. Uh, AST for surgical techs, um, and we have a reciprocal relationship with a CME provider, our partner is CCI, many people are familiar with. So we can take any webinar concept and basically promote it as a thorough and objective educational um, curriculum component that educates the provider community on a new procedure, on a new SOP, on a new thought a new pattern of doing some, th some things, and then we can accredit it to the benefit of the provider audience so they can get their continuing education credits for nurses, doctors, techs, whatever it may be. That's terrific. What impact did the pandemic have on the utilization of your services? So the first one was, again, when we, when we started, just to reiterate, we were primarily field-based focused. Um, that's where we thought organizations had the greatest need. Um, what's happened now is even a lot of that has come back online. So much more of our services are weighted towards upstream in the, in the strategic development process, in the R&D process. Um, and that spans from, again, early stage companies to the enterprise companies. Um, so we are probably doing as much just thinking on a pure revenue basis we're probably doing as much today with the voice of customer and kol development as we are with our initial service which was field-based support and that's not by any sort of dilution of that service it's through the uh, continued growth of the upstream services now we're here in philadelphia yeah. which is awesome because we can actually meet um, Great lunch, by the way. Yeah, it was. It was good. We had lunch at Reading Market. Yeah, that's right. Brisket. Yeah. Brisket sandwiches. Yes. Thank, thank you for treating. Denix Restaurant. Denix Restaurant. We, we get nothing out of this. That's right. Unless Denix, of course, if you want to buy us free sandwiches. That's right. For the advertising. <laughs> we're happy to take them. And I, won't, I will not edit this out. <laughs> so, um, But you're here. The reason you're here is you're serving a customer. And it, it's another place where a customer needs an outside organization to help them objectively evaluate products so that they can better communicate some functionality to the MDR in Europe when they're trying to get their CE mark or, or upgrade their CE mark, and also here in the United States. Am I correct? That is correct. Yes. Okay. So it's just it's amazing to me um, all the different services that you guys provide. Yeah, this is a usability study, and it's for legacy products. What do you think the future is of the concept of CXO? I think the future, again, in the, in, the, in the virtue of us acting as a concierge to this collective 
energy of expertise, knowledge, and experience that comes from having a network of clinicians that we are. What we keep seeing, and and what I say to everybody, the thing that energizes me the most is when I sit across from a prospective client, and and usually it's with a group of people, and you start to see them have a sidebar. And the sidebar is either one, because they are starting to get the concept of concierge clinical services and the idea of experience, not transaction. And all of a sudden, you see them start to have a sidebar of, hey, remember when we had that issue? Or remember when we were trying to think of what we could do to overcome that challenge that we had? And, and Ted, I wish I could harness that that excitement that not only obviously I get because it means that their 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 hamster wheels really start to turn, but the excitement that they have from the thought of we've been trying to try to we've been trying to find a partner to help us overcome this challenge, and can you? And I can't say one hundred percent of the time that we can because some of it is some some off bar type of things that that right. maybe the industry isn't quite ready yet for whatever it may be. But we just love being that problem-solving, critical thinking and finding ourselves on the same side of the proverbial table as them and saying, let's talk this out. You need experience and expertise from clinicians because you're trying to figure out how to overcome this. Why don't we do a quick uh, focus group? Do a quick survey. Let's just put it out there. Let's what, Instead of just having us pontificate in the boardroom, why don't you just put it out there? And we've made it into at least what we believe is a cost effective way to gain some insight quickly. And you know, the, the old school mantra is everything, everybody in med tech, I always believe thought of everything as being this massive elephant, right? Wasn't, didn't matter what it was. If you were going to do something, you didn't do it small. You did it big time. Yeah. Regardless of budget, right? If you were going to do something, you, you don't invite three people, you invite a hundred people. Okay, and you maximize your budget for whatever it is, and you go through all the pains and circles of all this planning. And so, what we've tried to do is showcase for them that's fine. And there's probably still a place for a lot of that because there's value that you can get from that that you may not be able to get through through some virtual circles or whatever it may be. But how about doing some more informal ones, spot checks? If you're thinking about creating an idea for something bigger, do a spot check. Check with three, five prospective customers. Just get an idea. Mm-hmm. Make it part of a process. And I think it's that idea of checking in with a customer base that's going to be the future of our clinical experience organization. Because as we've seen in every other part of our world, the consumer is driving. The consumer is in charge now. You know what I mean? Ask the automobile sector. Who's yeah. in charge? Yeah. Right? They shifted from where if you wanted information about the car 30 years ago, you could really only go to one source. Right. And that was that the dealer. The dealership, right? Yeah, right. Now think about it. If you walk into a dealership today without knowing everything that you could possibly want about that car, including the dollars that they're probably going to make on it, you're doing yourself a disservice. Yeah. And that's shifted everywhere. You yeah. have to know the consumer has the control. So yeah. give them what they want. Absolutely. And when you talk about um, a clinician, we're, uh, the one thing I want to point out to the to the audience is when Skinner's talking about clinician, you're talking about a number of different levels of 
healthcare providers. So tell me the different levels we're talking about from, from bottom to top. Techs, therapists, nurses, physicians, essentially anybody that is required to have some sort of license or certification or a degree to do something specialized in the MedCap medical field. Okay. And the reason I, I just think that's important is that I just want people to understand that you can assist on all those different levels. And some people, when they hear the word clinician, they think MD, you know, they think of a doctor and we're talking about a variety of things. So this experience that you had, you know, how do you see marketing and selling to clinicians changing? How has it changed over the last couple of years Part of it due to the pandemic, part of it due to the pandemic forcing us to adopt new technologies in terms of communication and so on and so forth. How do you see it changing the way people work? And um, do you think it's permanent? So I liken it to the philosophy of the cell phone. You remember when we first were told about the idea of the cell phones and how convenient it was going to make life and how much easier it was going to make life because yeah. you were tethered, right? And you could be, and you didn't have to worry about running to the payphone bank, right? Whatever it may be, you can just connect. And the initial thought process was, oh, it's going to make life so much easier. And here we are, fast forward, what, 20, 25 years from the real proliferation of that. And we all find ourselves more burdened and inundated by the fact that we have this device in our phone that gives us access to all the information, all the email, all the phone calls, all the text messages, all the social media, and it's burdening all of us. Mm -hmm. And so much, even in healthcare, in the, in the continued iteration and growth of healthcare, is I'm going to make this device and this technology, and it's going to make the healthcare provider's life easier. But what we find is that it's just one more thing for them. And they're constantly being pre presented with this new technology, this new idea. Oh, bet guess what? We're going to connect this to the patient, and it's going to make this whole new alarm system that you're going to hear about when they turn over, when one of their vital signs pops. And it sounds fantastic, but when they have 10 other technologies being presented to them that offer differences in alarms, plus the connectivity to an electronic health record, mm -hmm. plus all the other things that they have to learn, I find today that the clinicians are being so overwhelmed with new technology that it's a challenge for them. And I think one of the things that happens oftentimes is in med tech and all technology is they overlook the concept <laughs> of ease of use. Ease of use equals adoption. Mm-hmm. How do you help somebody learn to use a product, right? If you're of a younger generation, I'm probably speaking even younger than me, um, it's not a thing, it's, it's not a complex idea to, to think about just dive in and let me learn how to use this or let me figure out or, or maybe read a little bit about it. I mean, children today watch YouTube videos for everything and they can figure out things that we're probably we probably wouldn't have had the confidence to have done way back in the day. And now I feel like the idea that clinicians are just being presented with all of this information and all of these new technologies, and it's not being thought of, of how do I make it easy for them to figure this out in this land of all this technology? How do I make it so that they don't have to double think? Because mm -hmm. that's really the challenge today. Right. You know, I mean, we're seeing these numbers of, of, you know, in the ICU, there's recent information saying that we're nearly 
at a four to one patient to nurse ratio in the ICU. Holy cow. Right? These are your most critical of patients. And think about it. If your loved one, your wife, your kids, your grandkids, whoever it may be, were in the ICU and under severe critical conditions, are you going to feel comfortable knowing that there's one nurse that has to cater to four patients just like that? But that's what we've done today. Yeah. And now imagine that one of those four patients, each of those four patients, has all this technology surrounding them. Each one designed to make quite life, quote unquote, easier. But we didn't really focus enough to make it easier for them to use. Right. And that's the thing that we like to focus on heavily with our clientele is you have solved the problem. And yes, you have found and found a solution to the challenges out there, but you haven't made it easy to use, easy to adapt. Easy to learn, whatever. Easy to learn. Yeah. Okay. Um, what mistakes do you see med tech companies, whether they're small or large, making in the areas of clinical insights and communication? The first one is just a reiteration of what I said, not making it easy to use. Right. The second thing I think um, is – and this happens in all of design. I think it comes from the concept of designing something because you and your immediate cohort think this is the problem and this is the solution that's needed for it. And and what I'm going by that is I've seen so many products uh, that we've been approached with from clients who have designed these really novel applications to be used in remote settings and primarily around elderly care, okay? And as we know, more and more of healthcare is exiting the acute hospital and going to non-acute means. And when you get to the elderly, I think people forget that technological sophistication, and, and I mean this is no slight against any, I'm not trying to be ageist by any mean, right? But technological, <laughs> technological understanding and comfort isn't always a thing, okay? Particularly for somebody who's not feeling well. Mm-hmm. And now you're going to try and thrust them something, and we've seen it, built on Alexa devices, built on Google devices. This is the greatest technology, only to find out there is zero adoption because you failed to understand the patient dynamics. And the poor woman that's in a nursing home by herself, unfortunately, in a room, is scared to death every time she calls her daughter Alexa and all of a sudden, this device in the corner says, how can I help you? <laughs> right? And that's an intimidating voice. Yet, there are people that are designing products saying, well, of course you'd love the Alexa device. But they're starting to, they, they kind of forget the end in mind principle. Right. And who is the end user of this? Whether it be clinician or not, you have to think in that idea. Or patient, sorry. Okay. Hold on one second. Yep, we're good. We, 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 we talked yeah. to yeah we talked we to said some, we're only going to be a few minutes that's it yeah. thank you yeah yep, thank you <laughs> look that's one of the benefits of being in person ted and i were just nearly arrested <laughs> for loitering <laughs> you don't get that on zoom almost kicked out of a room that's right <laughs> we've we've sort of covered some of this i don't know if this is a repeat question i was going to ask you what steps should MedTech leaders be focusing on now to improve their relationship with clinicians and their messaging? Um, or is there anything else that we've, that we've missed in this conversation that you think is important? I think 
there's so much that goes into a sale. And usually what people think about a sale is, okay, we go through this whole process, sometimes contracting, value analysis, all these parts. Then it comes time for the sale. They spent a tremendous amount of effort if they're if they're sound and making sure there is a good experience and the product evaluation, then wide scale adoption. I think sometimes where things get forgotten, and this is more of an issue today than it's ever been before because of the high turnover rate yeah. within hospitals, is so if you do an adoption in March or you do a product trial in March and then in by June or July you're thinking that now okay we're going to do a full implementation of some sort or there's going to be some sort of standardization across a hospital or a health system whatever it may be and then they look to provide that level of support in June and then in July they're on to the next one well the problem in today's world is when you've got 20% attrition there's there's one out of five new faces that are in there in July and now if you've moved on to the next one and you aren't providing a continuous stream of support and education, we're seeing companies now doing two things. Either they're losing more new customers than they've ever had before mm-hmm. because of all the travel nurses and everybody that's coming in that isn't familiar or hasn't been trained on this. Or they're spending double and triple the amount of dollars because the whole team that they flew in there in March – then June and July to do the implementation, a good chunk of that team is coming back in August and September. Mm-hmm. And now they're spending double and triple on airlines and hotels because they haven't thought of a way to create that resonating impact on the long term for that ease of use and adoption. And I think that's something that the labor shortages of today really have to be thought out of how are we going to do that? Otherwise, you're going to blow out your budgets. Okay. Okay. Well, this has been terrific. I've had a lot of fun, including evading the law. I know, evading the law, not getting kicked out of here. <laughs> we, found, we found a place to talk. Yeah. There's a little editing I have to do from some noise that was made, but that's okay. Um, Skender, thanks so much for spending time with me today. It's, it's great to meet you face-to-face for the first time, and uh, also great to have a chance to talk to you about what you do, which is really valuable. I love that I could be the first face-to-face. That's incredible. I just want Scott Alexander to know that he is not the first face-to-face. <laughs> we'll tell Scott. <laughs> Let's make sure Scott knows that. Yes. Okay. Please use that as the promo line Absolutely. when you put this out there. And uh, I'm excited. But thanks, Dad. Thanks for the opportunity. And another thing I should mention is that, um, that I, and I'm part of this, is that we now have this other podcast called... MedTech Business Academy by the MedTech experts. Right. I'm one of them, so I'm on there from time to time. And Scott Alexander, who we're teasing about, is on there. I've interviewed him before. Uh, Skender, of course, and his team helped produce it. So it's another very good podcast for MedTech. Very excited. Very excited. And and anybody that is interested in learning, uh, that podcast focuses heavily on the commercialization and all the med tech experts are very much focused on commercialization. So regardless of what stage you're in, we have experts like Ted and everybody else to help with that. So please take some time to uh, listen to that one. And I will put um, links to that podcast in the show notes. Great. Again, Skinner, thanks. Thanks, Ted. I appreciate it. We were joking about Scott Alexander, who I interviewed in episode 55. It was the most popular episode in 2021. 
Well, now you know what a CXO is and how it can economically and effectively enhance so many areas of customer success for a company. Have you run into some of the problems we talked about in terms of scaling a product launch with adequate training and e-learning and KOL resources for your customers? If so, you may need a CXO like the Clinician Exchange. Thanks for spending time today with Skender and me. Thanks also for putting up with the production quality. Now go win your week.